Um, if you turn in the, your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to uh, finish off a, a three-part sermon series. I, I was tempted to uh, just kind of wing it this morning and then um, finish what we've been doing when more people were here, but you came, you get, you get what was planned. Um, so uh, if you are, if you, we, we are, we're in the first two chapters of Ephesians, and so it was predestined from before all eternity that you would be here this morning to hear this word, uh, and so you are going to get the word that was planned. Um, reading in, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's ask God to bless our time in his word and to, and to bless uh, the teacher. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. And uh, I pray, Lord, as we come to your word, that, uh, that you would clear away our sins as you have so faithfully promised. Lord, we know that they are potentially paid for. And then they are actually paid for when we trust in Christ. But Lord, we know too, Jesus says that the one who has bathed need only wash his feet. And we believe that that means that we accumulate sins, Lord, that don't break our relationship with you, but they do fracture our fellowship. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would forgive my sins because they are many. And that you would forgive the sins of each and every person here as they prepare to hear your word because sin blocks our ears. It stops up our mind. It confuses us and causes us to lose direction. And so we pray that you'd purify us. We thank you that every sin confessed, that you're faithful and just and you purify us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for that. Father, we pray as we approach your word and we think about our deeds. Lord, we have often said over and over that we are unrighteous, that we can offer you nothing, that we by nature do wrong. But we thank you for the truth that you take our works, you take our deeds, and you redeem them in Christ and make them pleasing and honorable to you. And so as we consider this this morning, Father, I pray that you would set our feet on solid ground and that we might do, we might live in a way that's worthy of you, in a way that brings glory to you, and in a way that when we finish our race on that last day, 
we might hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We lift you up this morning, Lord, and we come to you humbly, asking you to speak to us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, there is a... Um, there's a lot of confusion among Christians as to the nature of their works and their deeds. Um, we can often hear people acting or speaking like what they do doesn't matter. Uh, the way that they live doesn't matter. Uh, part of the reason that I, I think this is a popular view is because perhaps they have been taught very well that Christ covers all of their sinful deeds and takes away all of their sins. Uh, there is no sin, past, present, or future, that can keep a believer from spending eternity with God if he or she truly believes. That is a truth. But it's a false truth to think that our deeds don't matter and that we can live any way that we want. Um, we, are, we are called, the scripture says, to glorify God in our works. We're called, the scripture says, to, to prove, this is in James chapter 2, to prove our faith by our works. And so often people can, can get into a confused state and think, am I, am I living in such a way that I'm worthy of God's grace? That's a, that's a false way of thinking. We're never worthy of God's grace by our deeds. And so many people will say, well, you know, what, what good is holy living then? If I'm, if I'm never worthy, I can live any way that I want. That's, that's a wrong thought. The other wrong way of thinking is, is, is being so paranoid and so nervous and so uptight and so edgy about every last deed that we have no rest and we experience nothing but anxiety about our deeds and the way that we live. Um, there's a great relief in the scripture before us that teaches us how to think and how to live a life of good works. We are we're moving through Ephesians chapter 1. In, in just a few words, is that we're created to know God and to worship Him, and He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We saw in, in the passage previous to this that there are three things that we should know that will stir, spur us on and stir us up to live lives of, of greater awe of God's goodness and greater lives of godliness. And that are, that those, those three knowledges are the hope to which he's called us, the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power. Paul then, um, I think in, in the way in which he's, he's, he's speaking to the Ephesians, he runs into an enormous wall at this point. And that is the massive problem that each and every person has. A tremendous problem that we have when we come to Christ. And that problem is that we are dead in trespasses and sins. By our very human nature, we are children who deserve the wrath of God. And so many people, I think wrongly, have presented the gospel as a life preserver that, that needs to be thrown to people. We need to be out there throwing that, that, that life preserver to people that they might grab it, lay hold of it, and, and be saved. The, the problem is, Ephesians says, is that the person who we are throwing the life preserver to cannot catch it because they are not alive. We need God's grace to enliven us. And so he moves on from the problem to the solution. And, and we see this in verses 4 through 7. 
God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. God puts Christ on the cross, crushes him for our sins. Jesus is raised on the third day, and the resurrected life of Jesus is then united with our life as, as we are raised. And the Bible says that we're made alive, we're raised up, we're seated with him in the heavenly places. So we have life with God. Why does he do this? I want to look at the, the right perspective on salvation. Um, and there, there are two ways in which uh, Paul reveals the perspective for our, our, our salvation, the way in which we ought to look at it. The first is the Godward perspective. From God's perspective, he saves us, he raises us and seats us with Christ that he might show us his grace for all eternity. God raises us and saves us that he might show us his grace for all eternity. And then there's a second reason. This is from our perspectives, our perspective. He saves us that we might do good works, that we might live lives of holiness and do good works, do deeds, actions which bring glory to God, which increase the fame of God's name within the world. That, as Titus chapter 2 says, that they adorn, I think this is verse 10 in Titus chapter 2, that, that, it, that, that our actions will adorn the grace of God. I think about what we've adorned most recently, right? People, people get a tree, uh, either a live one or a fake one, they stick it in their house and then they decorate it, they adorn it. A, a regular pine tree just kind of sitting in your house looks kind of boring, right? But when you dress it up and put lights on it and ornaments and a star and tinsel, it suddenly becomes something glorious. We're to adorn the doctrine of our God with our good deeds. Let's talk about why he saved us. God saves us. In verse 7 it says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God saved us because he is looking forward to his own eternal self-revelation and our delight. Look at verse 7 again. It says that he saved us, he raised us up with him, he seated us with him in heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. There was a man in our church in New Jersey uh, a name, man by the name of Sal de Caesar. He was there on D-Day as a medic, um, and, uh, and, and he, he received wounded from the battlefield and did what he could to help them. One of the things uh, uh, that's, that's unique about this guy is that he is a cartoonist. He's an artist. And so wherever he went throughout that, that, that um, post-D-Day campaign, he would draw pictures of stories that were told to him, pictures of things that he saw. And then throughout the years, he became uh, a, a very very interested in modeling battlefields. Now, you would never know this, to see this little guy shuffle in and shuffle out of church. You'd never know it. But you get in this guy's house, and he starts showing you pictures. And the minute that you say, wow, that's incredible, he says, let me show you some other things. And then he takes you downstairs into the basement, and he flips on the lights, and there are all these display cases full of these extremely vivid models with planes that are, that are crashing, with, with, you know, with fire and smoke coming out of them. And he, and he will then tell you about an individual battle, the Battle of Midway. 
and how it, how it happened, and which ships got there first, and, and why was this important? And you were just amazed and blown away by this little model. And as he tells about it, it becomes more and more alive. This is what eternity is going to be like. God will dig into the troves of his own gloriousness. He will, he will take out the, the boxes, the hidden things, which are far too glorious for sinful fallen humanity to see, but redeemed eternal beings who are remade in his image and who stand in his presence for all eternity will have the ability to appreciate it for all eternity. And God will, will bring out treasure after treasure and show us this is why he saved us, so that he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's going to show us about his knowledge and his wisdom and his truthfulness. He will teach us and show us about his holiness. He will express his great love toward us, and we will understand it deeply. We'll see our own sinfulness, I believe, and, and, and marvel and wonder at how he could love us. He'll speak of his mercy. We will understand fully why he is just to bring wrath on those who do not repent. He'll explain the deep mysteries of his will. We will see his freedom and his beauty. We'll understand what it means to exist from all time, from eternity past, and to exist forever into the future and be in awe of him. We will, we will see his, his omnipotence and understand the depths of his knowledge, but yet it'll be in a way that increases in depth for all eternity. This is one of the reasons why he saves us. He's going to show these things to us. And I think if you have ever been in love, and I know many of you have and still are, there is a delight in learning more and more and more about the person that you love. When that person lowers their guard and shares with you what's going on in their innermost self. And they reveal more and more of what's going on inside of their heart. There's a delight in discovering more. God is going to show us more for all eternity. I believe we will be satisfied. Revelation 7, 9 says this, describing the heavenly host. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, where they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. These are the redeemed, clothed in white, praising God, enjoying and delighting in Him. From the beginning of eternity, through the middle. I can't say to the end because there is no end, but that will be what we will do and we will delight and enjoy it. Let me encourage you to get a head start on learning who he is. Um, we have this magical time coming, which is January 1st, and, and everybody says, I'm going to eat right, right? You know, uh, I'm going I'm to exercise, I'm going to live right, I'm going to balance my checkbook, I'm going to clean my house, I'm going to plan for vacation, I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to start a 401k, all, all, all the stuff that happens on, on January 1st. How about 
feeding yourself this year, getting a head start on learning who God is. How about reading through the Bible this year, marking out not all the things that you need to do to please God, but all the things that God is, who he is to us, how he has saved and shown his mercy and his grace in the past. Just grab a highlighter and start marking things. I guarantee you, it, it will, if you use yellow, it will look like the sun. If you use pink, it will look like that perfect pink of, of the late day sunset. You, know? you, will, you will see amazing things and you will learn in part what you will be learning throughout all eternity. Let me challenge you, too, to read books of the Bible in a single setting. Now, it took me seven hours sitting over uh, at the, the coffee shop at SU to get through the book of Isaiah. But it was glorious. It was wonderful. Uh, you can get up and you can read Malachi in the morning. In under an hour. You can read Ephesians in less than 45 minutes. And you will learn things about God as you do that over and over that will just delight and challenge you. Let me encourage you to do that this coming year. Let's talk about doing, though, as we draw to a close this morning. Uh, what do we do? God has saved us by nothing that we've done. He's taken his son, and he has, his son has given himself willingly. He has taken his son's perfection and made him stand in our place. And so we're saved not on the basis of what we do, but on the basis of what his son has done and God's grace toward us. What then do we do? What is the point of doing good works? What role do our actions have? Uh, let's, let's analyze and consult with Paul as we, as we consider this question. Let's talk about how we are saved. First, first main idea here is first that our works are rejected. Okay, Our deeds are rejected from a salvation perspective. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay? What Paul is saying here is that if you are saved, if you are a believer, it is because of the grace of God. We are saved by grace. Okay? Now, he then comes along and says that faith is the subjective human act by which we access God's grace toward us, okay? This is the means by which God's grace comes towards us. And so uh, we are saved by grace, by God's work, through faith, okay? Does my faith count as something that I do in order to be saved? No. Although faith is something that we must do in order to be saved, okay? I don't think there's any simpler way. I've, I've read numerous volumes, many pages, people explaining why faith is a work, people explaining why faith is not. It all boils down for me to this. By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, okay? Nothing that we do saves us, and yet all over the Bible we are commanded to believe and repent and trust. And so I think if we say to people something like, well, God saves who he wants to save, so it doesn't matter if you believe or not, eh, that's wrong, okay? 
That's, that's wrong to say something like that. We ought to say, God so wills from eternity to save some, to save those whom he calls. And so, believe, and you will be saved. Whosoever will can be saved. But yet those who will are called from before the foundation of the universe. I don't think there's a disconnect there. I think that's exactly what the scriptures say. This is not your own doing. Rather than salvation, I love this quote. I don't know who said it. I forgot to write it down. Rather than salvation being a masterpiece that we produce, we are a masterpiece that God has produced. Salvation is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I discussed this a bit this morning in Sunday school. There's a uh, comedian by the name of Ricky Gervais who wrote a, um, an, an article that was on the Wall Street Journal earlier this week arguing for his own atheism. And, uh, and, I, and I think he is exposing a truth. He said, I don't mind Christians. I don't bother them. I just wish they would stop berating me all the time, being cruel to me. And I think there's, there is a, there is a uh, very much there, alive in the world today, there is an animosity of the believer toward the unbeliever in terms of faith. Um, where Christians are coming across to people and saying, listen to this, read that, believe this, you know, and, and, and really pounding on unbelievers and making them feel like they are less of a person and trying to, to use guilt or coercion to get them to believe rather than being beautiful and being winsome and talking about the grace of God, perhaps exposing their own sinfulness and expressing their gratitude towards the Savior with tears, I think this is a better way. Salvation is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Those who don't believe, we're not smarter than they are. Those who don't believe, we're not to boast. We're not more worthy. We haven't done greater works. We are not more deserving. We should glory in God's kindness. We should be filled with gratitude towards God. And we ought to pray for believers and speak with grace and charity and clarity to them. To say, oh, that you would know the riches of God's kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. If you could only understand how sinful we are and how loving and merciful and kind he is to us. That's the way we ought to move forward. No signs. That's just, I think it's so crass. We ought to speak and we ought to speak boldly, but we ought to speak lovingly. That's boasting. Um, let me just, one last point on our works are rejected. Warren Wearsby said this. I've gotten quite a bit of mileage out of this on Facebook. Thank you if you waited in, in that little comment stream there. Warren Wearsby very challengingly said, since we have not been saved by our good works, we cannot be lost by our bad works. I love that. We are saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Do you understand what this means? It means that any bad deed that you do in the future, it does not separate you from the grace of God. It's not a license to sin, but it should free us from an endless paranoia that if I do this 
or because I failed, rather. Because I failed in this way. I was harsh with my child. I failed to speak lovingly. I didn't speak up and share the gospel. Why, why do I have these desires or these emotions? We should never lament and say, how could God save me? Instead, we should look at the sum total of our deeds and say, thank God he has saved me and never fear. God saves us despite our bad works and we can't be lost because of them. Okay, our works are rejected. Second, our works are connected. Connected to what? Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are our good works connected to? They're connected to the work that God is doing in our lives. God shows his grace toward us. He sends his Holy Spirit into us, into our lives, to energize and to empower us to do things which glorify him. The scripture here say we are his workmanship. The Greek word is poema, and we get the word poem from this. We are a poem which God is writing. The sum total of our lives is a celebration of the work of God in us, through us. My wife has, I forgot to get them, forgot to bring the little choral people, the little singing people. My wife has delighted in putting together and making gifts for family members for Christmas. Um, when you make a gift for someone, when you make up some apple butter and you pass that on and they call you and say, this is fantastic. Not only does it display your joy in the act of creation, but it also enables others to enjoy and delight in the work which has been done. Does that make sense? God is telling a story through our lives. The story begins the same way for all of us. Keith's life was very, 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 very bad. And it was increasingly bad. And it got worse and worse as he learned to sin in new and creative ways. And then I met him and saved him and transformed his life. And now look at the way in which he glorifies me. Not perfectly, that's his fault. But in the ways in which he does glorify me, that's my work in him. Isn't that a delight. And all angels in heaven, and I believe all human beings throughout eternity, will look at these life stories and say, yes, it was good, and it was wonderful. Our works are connected to God's workmanship in us. Okay, so first, our works are rejected. They do not save us. But second, our works are connected to the work that God is doing in our lives. Third, our works are expected. We are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works. Paul does not have an intent here to discourage good works by saying that we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. We're saved for works. But of all the promises that we find in the scripture, we do not find God guaranteeing the good works of those that he saves. We don't find God guaranteeing or compelling believers to do the right thing. Certainly, he compels us with the promise of judgment. Certainly, he compels or encourages us with the promise of reward. 
But God is a gentleman when it comes to his children. He does not force them. He urges them to live lives of holiness and good deeds that we might glorify him through what we do. I think rather than the church being divided over issues like whether or not God elects some to salvation, I think the church ought to be outraged at the fact that there are those who claim salvation and yet display little fruit in their lives. That ought to be something that is truly shocking to us. That there are those who claim to understand the grace of God and yet show so little inclination to live for them. I love the term sin hater to describe a Christian. I think it's a great term. As long as we don't mean that they hate the sin in others without hating it in themselves. We ought to do the good work of repenting from our own sins. When, when you feel sin bubble up in you and it starts to rise to the top and it's like, I, I, you know, right now my passion is overwhelming me and I want to say these words to this person or I want to do this or I want to do that and yet we clamp down on it and say, not going to do that. How could I sin against my Lord? We as a church, we had a glory in that among us. When somebody says, oh, I had such a rough day, but I just, you know, kept on repenting. Good. We ought to delight when someone says, I was committing this sin and I've repented of it. Will you help me? Will you hold me accountable? We ought to love that. We ought not to love when someone shows tremendous passion for doctrine, but shows such little passion for godliness. We ought to speak words of correction there. And by the way, that's a good work. It's a good work. Though good works are divinely prepared for us, they are at the same time our responsibility. Moral and spiritual perfection they're not attainable in this life, but they, be, they ought to be our goal in this life. Knowing that they're going to be our portion in the next life. God's going to make us perfect. We're going to offer him spiritual sacrifices, which are wonderful and acceptable through all eternity. Our works are expected. God has saved us. He's created us in Christ Jesus for good works. Our works are rejected from the perspective of salvation. Our works are connected to the work that God is doing in us. Our works are expected. We're saved for good works. And then finally, as we close, our works are perfected. Notice that it says that our works are prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Using a, an illustration from this morning, many of us on our way to the car took a shovel and just kind of took, you know, made a path to the car, right? You know, this is where we're going to walk. We don't do that in my house because we open the garage door and we go out and we just get in the car. And that's, that's the way, that's what you guys do too. Yeah, many of us though, we've got to walk to our car. We don't have garages. You've got to kind of shovel a path, right? You know, imagine the good works that you're to do as being God's path, which he's created for you in your life, that you might do those works. Here is the way, God says. Here are the deeds. Walk in them. Part of the delight is discovering them 
as God gives us the opportunity. Share the gospel with this one. Share your finances with that one. Speak words of correction to this one. Speak words of kindness to that one. Repent of this sin now and receive my grace for the times you've committed it in the past. He's created these good works beforehand that we might walk in them. But I want to focus on the fact that they're called good works. We may believe, and I think we believe this wrongly, that as believers we sin every day in word and thought and deed and cannot do any good thing. Okay? I want to challenge you as we draw to a close and try to make an analogy here to connect this together. Okay? Um, a man that I admire named Matt Perman shared this in an article, and he said that, that our good works are very much like going to a concert, okay? When you go to a concert, you go to the front door of the stadium, and you take your ticket, and you present it to them, and you say, here is my ticket, and they tear it in half, and they give you your stub, and then you go in, and you enjoy the music, right? The ticket is what is required to enter in. Many times we read in the scriptures, specifically in the book of Revelation, many times in the Gospels, Jesus says that those who do good works will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Many of the judgments in the book of Revelation are not spoken of in terms of God's grace toward us, but of good deeds done. And that can be very chilling at times because as believers, we read those things and we say, wait a minute. I thought God's grace guaranteed me. What about good works? Okay, think about your ticket. Your good deeds are your ticket of entry into heaven. Now, before you say, that's crazy, not true, you're a heretic, think about it this way. What is your ticket? A ticket is nothing but a representation of a transaction that took place previously, right? When I go to a concert, I don't just print a ticket off on my computer and then just go and hand it in, a fake ticket. Well, maybe some people do this. Um, but what you do is you either take some cash or your credit card and you go to a box office or you go to a website and you punch in your information and then they mail you a ticket. You receive a ticket. There is a payment made first, which then produces the ticket that is given to you, right? Our good works are founded on the payment of Jesus' work on the cross. Jesus' perfect obedience of the Father at every moment in his life is credited to us. So when we do a good work with the wrong motive, it's credited to us. When a when the Spirit points out a good work that we should do and we say, yes, I'm going to glorify God. And maybe they'll say, you're so nice. You know, and it's like, ah, does that ruin it? No. No. Because God's grace is credited to us on the cross. All of our good works are founded on the work which Jesus does on the cross. That's the payment which results in the ticket coming to us. And then every time that we do a good work, it's evidence that I am saved and my work is cleaned and, and, and redeemed by the work of Christ. And so when we go and stand on the last judgment one day and 
we stand before God and he says, what have you done? We will say, yes, I've done nothing. Christ has paid it all. And he'll say, yes, but what have you done? And we'll say, these are my works. And God will say, well done. They're good enough. We're saved for good works. No Christian ought to say, well, I can live any way that I want. We ought to live lives of purity and beauty and holiness and strive for the holiness, as Hebrews says, without which no one will see the Lord. But don't despair if bad works get mixed in there. You have a ticket that's been paid for by Christ. Go and live in such a way, standing in his grace, that when you meet him, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Go and live in justified works, justified by the blood of Christ. Let's pray as we close. Has Brian left us? Has he vanished? Is he here? You good? You're going to close us out? You vanished on me. I didn't know where you were. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, as you have gathered this crew here this morning, Lord, I pray that this word that's been spoken will be planted and will bear fruit in the lives of those who are here. Father, you knew who would be here this morning. You appointed this word for this morning, Father. And I pray that there would be no one here who would despair of your grace. Father, the work of Jesus has saved us perfectly and has freed us to bring our deeds, imperfect as they are, to you. And know that you will count them as righteous and perfect and holy and good. We thank you for that. Father, we thank you that you don't save us and then say, sit back and do nothing while I go and do all the good. But instead, as Peter has said, we've become partakers in the divine nature and partakers in your work, and you have laid out a path of good deeds for each and every one of us that we might walk in them. We thank you for that. We pray that we would see them and that we would do them and that we would delight in them. Father, we thank you. We love you. We pray your blessing on the rest of our day. We ask for safe journey on the way home. In Jesus' precious name, amen.